This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mignan. And I'm Luca Levitz Mabre. And our topics this week are. And we have two topics that I want to keep them secret. So stay with us. We're, what? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, but, teasing me that way. But, but you know one of them, though. Yeah, I know one of them, but the other one is very intriguing, and I can't help but think that it's going to be about fast food chains or about the bread at Subway. No, it won't be. Don't worry, it's Damn not it. about food. It's not about ah. food. And if you want to hear about those subjects, you have tons of podcasts to listen to. Yes. Um, so let's start with some follow-up. Um, so on episode 36, we talked about Redux, which is a way of having unidirectional data flow in your applications. And there's been some news with regards to Redux, uh, or rather one of Redux's influences recently. Um, as we mentioned on the episode, Redux was inspired by Elm, which is a programming language that tried to boil down the concepts of functional reactive programming to its essentials. And um, they posted a blog post this week called Farewell to FRP, which is Functional Reactive Programming. So what does that mean? <laughs> well, they realized it was actually pretty hard to get people aboard the language because Functional Reactive Programming isn't really what people are used to thinking in. Um, and they said that stuff like dealing with asynchronous tasks was tricky under that model and that they needed a better solution to solve it that wasn't purely Functional Reactive Programming. Um, so basically their blog post basically sums up all of the pragmatic objections to the paradigm that we had mentioned on that episode and that they're moving forward with by dropping uh, FRP in the name of becoming more approachable to new developers. So it's pretty interesting to see the novel approach that we had called out, basically you turning on their decision and saying, yeah, maybe this isn't the best decision altogether. Um, next up, uh, my coworker Shannon and I participated in a hackathon on the weekend that the last episode was released. Uh, we participated in Angular Attack 2016, and we actually got a little bit of experience with Redux in our uh, test application. Um, and some notes that I can give now that I've actually played with it. Um, how you decide to model your data is incredibly important when you're dealing with Redux because since you're restricted to the ways you can and can't edit things because everything is immutable, um, it's very, very hard to choose a data structure that actually makes it easy to modify things without um, creating new object or, clon or cloning objects that you shouldn't, that aren't exactly identical in the way that your various view frameworks will check for if something is the same. Um, so at a certain point, we actually had the entire application re-render every time you clicked to toggle something on or off, which is not what you want. And you have to be very careful about how you modify that data. And if you have a bad data structure like the one we had, uh, it can actually turn you off from the idea of using Redux because of all of the gymnastics you have to do to actually modify data in your data model. Uh, if it becomes really painful to modify data in your data model, you get frustrated and you don't really want to develop with it. Um, otherwise, it actually pre worked pretty well once you actually did do the gymnastics. But I'm guessing that that overhead of having to figure out what the gymnastics are isn't necessarily going to be appealing to all of the developers out there. So that's a little anecdote of what we did. Um, next up, I'd like to talk about episode 31, which where we talked about Nintendo's place in the gaming market today. Um, on that episode, we had some skepticism that the Wii U gamepad could be integrated in a novel way or that it really enabled any kind of innovative gameplay at all. And um, one of the games that has been uh, called basically the flagship title for the Wii U gamepad over and over again over the last two years was Star Fox Zero, which 
is basically the flagship game that Shigeru Miyamoto's team was working on that was going to be the game to prove that the gamepad is really worth it. Can you imagine what happened next? Oh, sure. Nobody heard of it. Uh, well, uh, no, a bunch of people heard of it. Yeah, if I recall correctly, it got people were able to access it and play it like in the previous two and E3 E3s. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, but the, like in, I think it's not, it was not the first E3 re, like or they had a it couple of a previ- previous E3s where they were able to play it and people were like, "Oh my goodness, this game is so bad!" And they were just doing the game to justify the gamepad. Was that was mostly what I heard about it. Yeah, so it was shown at, I believe it was at three, three to- E3s total. I think it was announced at, for the first one. It was playable the next two. And basically the game was so unplayable at the second E3 that they had to delay it for another year for them to actually make it playable. Um, unfortunately, the reviews of the game weren't actually that much better. And basically everybody agreed that the entire thing was ruined by the cumbersome control scheme, which involves using... Uh, switching constantly between the television and the Wii U gamepad. Um, there is this really great YouTube channel out there called Game Maker's Toolkit, where someone basically does game design analysis on a ton of popular video games. And this week, there was a great video explaining exactly how and why the controls in Star Fox Zero are terrible. And I am increasingly convinced that the Wii U gamepad doesn't really have a point. It's just a weird novelty that they can't really find a way to explain the appeal of and this is why the wii u is doomed and they're very quickly moving on to the nx and to be honest though i think the only point for gamepad for the gamepad is just to use it as a- yeah there's some appeal to that but you can also do the same thing with the playstation vita and remote play to a certain extent within your house and have greater range and basically be able to do it for any ps4 title not only those who decide to support the feature which is sort of the thing on wii u not all games support off tv play and some games actually do have um like a different thing on the gamepad screen like splatoon for example you can't really play offline you can't play online splatoon on the gamepad only because the map is there and you use the map to jump from place to place and i would love to have a TV-free Splatoon, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon because they're really, really stuck on the idea of having the map there where you can warp. Exactly, but still, like most games, you could play you could play freely on the gamepad, and that, and I think that's the only reason why the gamepad makes sense. Except that it does not. All right. So, do you have any follow-up of yourself? Oh yeah, I do have a quick one, which is from. Uh, the episode 38 where you've decided to talk about car. Uh-oh. Uh, yes. In this episode, you talked about the Infinity Q50 Eau Rouge concept. Yes. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, just before, just after we recorded the last podcast, I was listening to one of my favorite car podcasts, Ever Did I Ever Car Debates. And I've, I've realized that either Yannick committed something or... I just have a bad memory. Indeed, in episode 94 of the Everyday Driver podcast, the host reminded me that the Eau Rouge concept is a Q50 with a Nissan GTR engine. Oh, nice. I did not mention that on the episode. Okay, so yeah, and now that I know this, now that I know this fact about the concept, I am so sad that it will never be produced. And that was the kind of opinion that those two guys add on their podcast is like yeah the car looks amazing and it has a gtr engine come on infinity you need to produce it yes but they won't <laughs> they won't so 
that's it for follow-up, if I remember. Yes, it is. Let's Good. move on to our first topic. Yeah, so like I mentioned at the top of the show today, I'll use Limipo's second special rule that we introduced in episode 20. So today I have too many topics, and Yannick, I'll let you choose which one you want to start first. Either it's the known one, where we will talk about Apple Pay, and it's like Canadian Lunch Part 2, or the surprise one. Oh my god. I think we should leave the surprise for last. Make him wait for it like I had to wait for it. Okay, that's good. So let's jump into Apple Pay. So a bit after we recorded uh, the last episode. Uh, the day after we recorded the last oh, episode. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Uh, like I said in the follow-up, sometimes I have just bad memory. So, But you're right. It's the day after we recorded the last episode. Apple Pay has expanded to more cards and banks in Canada, which I like to call the part two uh, of its launch. So as of May 10th, Apple Pay has expanded into more banks with support for Visa, MasterCard, and Interact. And for people not familiar with Interact, it's our own like debit network in Canada. And I just want to go through a bit of what was part of this launch and um, what is coming in the future so the bank that are now supported as of may 10th are still obviously the american express bank of canada i don't remember its exact name but the american express cards that only are issued by american express atb which only support their mastercard credit cards interact is coming soon and by the way atb did you know it was a bank owned by the province of alberta I've never even heard of ATB. Oh, no, me neither. But when I was doing my research, they were like, it's said that it's a bank owned by the province. I was like, surprised. Um, continuing on the list of banks supported, the next one is the Canadian Tire f- uh, Bank, which is for the yes. uh, financial yes. product. Okay. <laughs> for their financial product and their own uh, credit card. And the two big banks are CIBC and RBC. So part of this launch was also mentioning that most Canadian banks will support Apple Pay either starting now or in the coming future. And at the same time, Apple and these the three other big banks in Canada announced that they will be supporting. And those other three are BMO, TD, and Scotiabank. And when it was announced uh, a week ago, it was saying coming soon. But in, in specific press releases and to specific... Uh, reporters, I think iMore got kind of a scoop about it, or Apple was just kind enough to say more details about it, but they said that it's around June. So BMO, TD, and Scotiabank should be launching soon-ish, June-ish. Also coming soon, according to Apple's website, Canada should also have the support for rewards card that I think has been started in the US, but has been kind of a, like a slow start. Uh, as far as I remember, I don't know any like stores that have used this reward card from the Apple Pay system, but it has been launched for a while in the US. And as all people can assume, it has been a major update to Apple Pay in Canada and the update that Canadians were waiting for. So, Yannick, were you waiting for this big update? No, because my bank isn't supported. I know you were replied to you answered that. And that's where the problem st- still lies a bit. What about the other banks that I didn't mention? And most of them 
gave non-answered, including Desjardins, which is the biggest credit union in Quebec. It's also like I say, biggest credit union. It's also part of it's the biggest bank too in Quebec. And I would say if it's a credit union, we'll say it's the biggest in Canada too. But they were part of all of the other financial uh, services and banks that were giving to their customer via Twitter, via press releases, non-answer, something like, we're looking at the progress of Apple Pay in Canada and other mobile payment solution to see what we should do in the future and change our plan accordingly, something like non-answer like that. But I kind of got half lucky, to be honest. And I don't know if I told you that, but... Oh, yeah, I'm sure I told you that, but... yeah. The bank I used, Tangerine, also got big backlash uh, because they started to be kind of non-answery, but it forced their CEO to tweet that Apple Pay is coming in six to eight weeks, which would kind of closely fit with the coming soon banks. And also uh, an important thing to note is that uh, Tangerine is kind of owned by Scotia Banks, so I think it's kind of have to assume that it will come at the same time. Sounds good. I hope that Desjardins is in that batch, though I don't really think it's going to be, but we'll see. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people are also complaining for the other banks. And uh, yeah, I think people are like greatly waiting for Apple Pay. And hopefully all of these banks will put, pr- like all of these banks support will put pressure on the other banks or on other credit unions that are not supported. So I also want to go through and just remind us uh, why did it take so much time to get more banks in Canada, and the main reason that we heard, and still it's it's still a bit nebulous, but the main reason we heard was that Canadian banks wanted to negotiate harder the interchange fees taken on each transaction, because the way that Apple kind of has set up Apple Pay is yes they will do they have the technologies, but part of the deal with the banks is they want part of the inter, inter, interchange fees. And from the rumor we mentioned in past episode, it seems that the Canadian bank tried to negotiate art. They wanted to be the big players. And they, I think they wanted to be like, oh, we are the best people to negotiate with Apple to have what we want. They will give us what we want because we're better than everybody else. But way better than the, what, a thousand US banks that have started to negotiate before them. So I think this has been the main reason why it got delayed so much. And mm, the uh, push to Amex put some pressure. It's still like, it's. I think it's something we'll never know. Because it's always rumor or people that cannot talk, that they only, will only stay on the anonymity side. But the two main facts why it took so much time, the main fact why it took so much time were those fees. And... I'm so happy that they got it sorted out and that it's coming soon and everything. And the other part, which is more related to our own uh, debit network, Interact, is Interact has been working for at least two years on their own uh, tokenization system. And they launched their, they called it their token service provider only last February. And from the release of Apple Pay, Apple and Interac were closely mentioning that this TSP service was kind of not integral part of why Apple Pay is supporting uh, Interac, but it's kind of closely hitting in that it helped make the move because it closely resembled to the tokenization system used by Apple Pay. 
Lastly, though, um, all of those banks still has one limitation that the current Apple Pay integration with MX doesn't have. And it seems that the $100 per transaction limit is only waived by Amex, meaning that you need to have your own credit, Amex credit card and any other banks will still uh, enforce this limit. Unless, and that's where they mention it, it's unless the merchants in its merchants account decided to just uh, kind of waive this uh limit if needed that's strange yeah it is because like amex was pretty proud to say that with all of the technology and security element of apple pay like the secure limit in your phone the tokenization of each transaction and touch id was kind of part of doing this two two factor notification so the secure element and touch id so they will say like oh it is as secure as your pin and the way we do pin transactions so we just don't care about the transaction limit but i think it's still part of why the bank like the banks are kind of maybe like they want to support apple Pay because they the customers are trying to push for it but at the same time it's like yeah but it's still like using your nfc card it's still not secure enough because we don't control everything and i think that's also part of why it's taking so much time in other countries too because the way that the banks are set up in the u.s compared to the banks around the world uh especially in canada and the other example that was given is australia uh because they added the banks to uh on may 10th is their market for banks is more tightly controlled like like I'm, when I mentioned that there was more than a thousand banks in the U.S., we have what maybe twenty-five, thirty banks slash credit unions, and maybe some of them that I'm currently including are uh, part of like association or partnership deals with the bigger banks. So the way that the, maybe the laws are set up here, or the way that the those bank networks are as created in the past made it so closely tied together and made it kind of a, of a special club because if you were to apply the same logic like we only have like what a tenth uh, uh, yeah a tenth of the population in canada compared to the u.s so we if we were using kind of the same model we will have a tenth of the bank and i don't think we have uh 100 banks in canada way less than that yeah, and that's probably why the banks felt like they could negotiate against Apple because they actually withhold way more power than any individual bank, and that's probably... Oh, yeah, and especially the way that the Interact kind of organization has been created in the past. I was also researching on that and kind of learned that it's kind of an association of all of the banks slash credit union in Canada, and they kind of decided, oh, Visa and MasterCard doesn't want to, like, issue a debit card for Canada, so let's create our own network. Interest. Yeah. Do you have anything to add about the Apple Pay Canadian lunch? Not really, except I really want it. Uh, okay. So now let's mystery go. Mystery topic? Oh, yeah. I'm surprised a bit because uh, it's taking uh, less time than I expected to be, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with this question. When was the last time you had to shop for PC components? For college, I think. Okay. So that would mean... I mean, it was RAM, but... Four or five years ago. 2008. Oh, okay. My, oh, wow. Okay, it's even... So, eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, then, you said that you remembered it was RAM, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So, in the recent uh, days and weeks, I had to 
shop for uh, PC components. Uh, the oldest reason was to upgrade one of my friend's laptop. I wanted to give his new life uh, and uh, to give his new life to his laptop without replacing it yet. But the main reason why I'm approaching this topic is one of my hard drives died in my Drobo. Oh. And my Drobo is used to be my uh, is used for my local storage solution. So where I'm going with this is now that I have broken hardware, it, I think it's a good time to revisit my local storage solution, which in the beginning means I need to find a replacement hard drive. And it feels to me that as kind of a, a Mac slash Apple user, I kind of lost, lost touch on this part of the personal computer ownership, like trying to find the right part for the uh, exact need to my Drobo and all of that stuff. Like it feels to me that all of this is kind of just a big problem that I used to enjoy fixing, but now just feels to me like a loss of time. Yeah, I can understand that, especially... I know for myself that the Mac is taking less and less of my reasons that I sort of want to have something that's viable both for the Mac and for iOS. And I don't think there's a really good option for that right now. Oh, exactly. And to me, like all of this, like research, like I know that there's obviously tons of good material online, but do I want to be the one to geek out on my specific need or do I want to research what other people uh has done and it feels to me like just this like kind of research process i kind of become like it's old expedition or when you want to book a trip or something like that so you need to look for hotel and then you need to look for food and then you need to look for activities and then this that it's fun to plan trips it's not fun anymore for me to uh find the right pc components for example for my need Luckily, the internet sort of helps in that regard. Like you've got, um, I don't remember which of the online backup services, but I think it's Backblaze that has a really useful blog where they test every kind of hard drive possible to give which are the most reliable, which are the least reliable in this current day and age. And you can just buy the ones that are the most recommended by their blog and you have a pretty idea of what you're getting. Oh yeah, and they do have a good and it was, yes, indeed, Backblaze. And they do also have a good recommendation. But it's also part of what I would say that I'm so used to this good, better, and best. It, and let me give you an example using uh, Backblaze. You go to the website and say, okay, I want a good 2 terabyte hard drive. So you go through the website and they give you like all of the serial numbers, all of the part number, and all of that stuff. And then you go online and you try to find it. Either they were using old hard drives that are not available anymore or they're using like specific hard drive that might be mostly used for data center stuff that yes you can get but still might not be fitting your need and it just feels to me that these days we have so much option in this sector and and i'm using this as kind of just retrospective on reflection on maybe the old like gadgety uh, department is you have so much option that it just becomes noise for you it's just hard to focus and find the right one yeah definitely um i don't know i usually if i have to buy like hardware for like commodity pc hardware and stuff like that i usually just either look for recommendations on those blogs like i mentioned or go new egg and just try to cross-reference the model numbers there and hope i get lucky and find something that's good 
But I mean, like, seriously, hard drives are not going to be the thing where you have to be super picky because, like, I know you say it doesn't really meet your need, but, like, there's nothing really super specific about a hard drive other than the speed and the size and the reliability. Oh, yeah, and I think it's also part of, like, those markets is they try to give you more characteristic or more lineups of products where you could just say oh okay like this product is specified for this type of usage and this other type of usage and i think this is also where the all of this noise is for me um the main problem it got me thinking is when i've decided to touch on this uh like on my local storage solution it was what i think nearly five years ago i kind of like focus more on a flexible solution and this is where i think the drobo was like i know if something happens yes the drobo is kind of a black box by itself but a, a drive dies i just replace it and then at that time i just go online search for the right desk and blah 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 but it feels to me that maybe my my needed as my needs has changed in this point and it, it it's kind of started a, a, a conversation i'm still not fine trying to find the right answer i'm still like trying to find what would be the okay answer and maybe not the good answer but it was something that kind of was eye-opening uh this week when this problem arises i have a solution that i thought would evolve during the time during time but now that it's kind of having a problem or not functioning the way i would want it to work now i kind of realized that i might need to rethink of what will be my need for that yeah and like i got a raid a couple of years ago um and i have like two drives in there and as far as i know they still work um but it's never plugged into my laptop which is sort of part of the problem um i rely mostly on cloud backup for my stuff and uh via amazon s3 i backup to and stuff and i know that it's always going to happen regardless of whether my drive is plugged in or not so i don't really back up locally anymore which is probably a bad idea um but i mean i it's just so much of a pain to actually have to leave the drive plugged in and deal with the noise and the heat and all that stuff and at the same time that drive isn't accessible on ios and if i'm going to put my media on this drive and everything i want it to be accessible all the time and the other issue is um like on my laptop i'll often just use dj software on there but what if i go someplace with it if my music library is on my external drive the software will just break and explode because it won't find my music files so i have to either maintain like two music libraries one on the external drive and one on the internal drive and then what's really the point there other than having a backup and it's just it's so much of a mess i don't really want to think about it so i keep pushing the issue into the future oh and exactly and again it's touching the other point i had related to that is right now the first problem is what do i do with this problem which is more hardware focus but the fact that i kind of have a retrospective on what should i do with my local storage solution is what happened in the last few years like you mentioned that you use your ios devices more often than your mac that your mac is more like on the is less and less used to do personal stuff and maybe more work-related stuff or recording this podcast but not using the data you add on this hard drive you want your data to be flexible i think i honestly use my laptop maybe two hours a week now yeah exactly (laughs) and mm, what got me thinking is 
I have data that I might want to use on my iOS device, but how could I access to it? And then it just becomes a bigger and bigger problem. And this is where it, I'm just like, okay, like you, I just need to concentrate on the first one, even if the first one is not mind-boggling, but a pain in the butt. And then at some point, like, I just need to revisit what is the importance of local storage and do I need it? What, like, and like you mentioned, is it really important that I have a local backup of my Mac every second of the time of the day to make sure that it's always repeating on this list or I should make sure that uh, I have maybe cloud storage to do so and all of that stuff. But I think cloud storage, we could have a whole episode on that. Definitely. And on that front, um, like you were talking about how five years ago you got a Drobo and it was basically the state-of-the-art solution at the time. Um, nowadays, I think it would be fair to say that that state-of-the-art solution isn't the Drobo. It's the Synology that everybody's using uh, in the Mac community these days. And I think the big question is, if we go forward five years, is the Synology still the state-of-the-art or is something else going to take place? And maybe the something that takes its place is actually cloud storage altogether. Um, I don't necessarily think it is because I think local storage is always going to be somewhat important to a certain degree, but it's unclear really what the deal is. Oh yeah. And that's where I want to kind of open my horizon about that. I want to make sure that if today I just decide to ditch that trouble, that when the next solution as an hardware failure, I just don't say, uh, yeah, but it's a pain in the butt and it's been two or three years that I've been using this solution and I can of I can currently injuring it. I know it works, it's not perfect, but is there something I could have done better in the past to make sure that five years from now when something happens, something maybe more positive next time uh, where I just need more storage or my need has changed, that is something that could evolve way better. Yep. Okay, now I'm just a bit surprised. <laughs> because you thought the episode was going to last longer. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of assumed that you would talk more, but that's fine. That's Rip. okay. Oh, that's okay. To be honest, though, it's... Well, the... do, you, do you want to talk about the breaded subway? <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, I, I, started, I really started to think that you want to talk about breaded subways. Not really, no. Um, but, but let's be honest for a sec. Uh, we're in May... WBC is happening, is arriving quite fast, and uh, I'm sure uh, I'll be able to uh, replenish my ideas and topic bag for the next few months. Actually, maybe that's how we should end. Maybe we should have predictions and worries about WWD because I am really about what's going to happen at WWD. Oh, then let's do that as topic number three. Yeah, surprise topic number three. Neither of us <laughs> knew we were going to talk about this one. Yeah, that's, that's okay. I'm okay with that. So why are you worried, to be honest? Okay, so earlier today I tweeted basically all of my cynicism in last year's episode about iOS 9 right after it was announced that WWDC was very well-founded. Proactive features more or less proved to be completely useless, and most people have forgotten they even exist on iOS. Um, Siri basically hasn't evolved at all. Um, okay, uh, uh, may I stop you about the proactive feature? You're going to say, oh, it tells me that I can go to work and there's 15 minutes of traffic or whatever. Uh, okay, sure. I could tell you that, but uh, no, I won't tell you that. What I will tell you is two subtle things that I realized. Uh, the first one I realized quite recently is 
the second I plugged in my headphones, it detects that when my headphones are plugged in, I always listen to podcasts using Overcast. Always, always, always. The second I have a Bluetooth speaker connected, it detects that, especially on my iPad, I always use YouTube when I have a Bluetooth speaker connected. And the second it's connected and I unlock the screen because what happens in my routine is I will launch, I will like boot up the Bluetooth speaker and it will connect to my iPad and then I will get my iPad out of my bag. So um, I'll see the, the lock screen before, uh, after it's uh, paired to my iPad. And you know what? Every time I see that YouTube logo and I can just swipe in and already be in YouTube because you know what? That's what I do 99% of the time when like five seconds after the Bluetooth speaker has been paired to my iPad. Okay, well, it's nice that it works for you because it doesn't work at all for me. Um, well, it does work <laughs> in that um, sometimes there's a little icon recommending that I do something that I never, ever, ever do when it's a thing. Like randomly, I'll be at work and it'll be the activity app for the Apple Watch that's going to be right there on the recommendation screen. And I'm like, why are you showing me the activity app? I don't tend to go check my activity when I'm at work, but it's always there. Uh, sometimes I'll plug in headphones and it'll be overcast. Sometimes I'll plug in headphones and it'll be completely different app that has nothing to do with me multimedia at all. Um, it's completely unpredictable and worthless to me. And I think that the same thing can be said for a lot of people in the Mac community. And the other thing that really bugs me is I was looking at the other features in iOS 9 that were hyped and that people were excited about and that I called stupid when they were announced last year. And one of them is in-app search. Uh, in-app search was supposed to be this huge deal that was going to change a bunch of stuff. And right now, if I type SA into my uh, search field to open Safari, everything I see under Safari is Twitch streams from three weeks ago that are no longer relevant because they happened three weeks ago. And even then, I never watch Twitch streams uh, after they've been live. Like, those should be, at the very least, live things. But at the same time, you should also know from my usage patterns that I never actually open any links from Twitch in my search results, so you shouldn't show them to me because they're useless. And I think there is so little intelligence in the intelligent features that were, we were supposed to get last year that it's frankly very insulting. And with what Google showed at Google I.O. last week, I'm not necessarily a fan of Google's approach to data collection and undermining people's privacy in the name of advertising but at least their stuff sort of seems to work whereas on apple stuff they might as well just not have the smart features at all because i wouldn't notice a difference except it would be cleaner um you, you know what i've tried the same search so you ask you ask essay in uh, spotlight yeah and what i realized is you're right safari is the first and my phone is in french so i have elt which is sante and then i started to scroll a bit and i realized uh, let me enumerate. So I have best results. And then after I go application, contact, my music, found in mail, notes, plans or maps. And then I've seen the first like in-app search, which is workflow. So I had to scroll at least a screen of information before I found something more related to an app. Which is strange because on my phone, basically, it's just always garbage from apps that come out first it's really? amazing yeah it's basically just if it's a match for the app name it'll be there on top and then it's 
app garbage all the time and i don't care about it and i wish this feature wasn't even in the os because it's a waste of time they aren't good at search they shouldn't do it like never should have shipped because it's worthless either that or the data that the apps are providing to the search is worthless and that is also a very good possibility but i have zero confidence at any of these features like if apple announces stuff i'm going to that is supposed to be smarter and in the realm of Siri intelligence, I'm just going to laugh about it when it comes out because it's not going to be good. Like I'm 95% sure that whatever Apple announces that is intelligence related this year at WWDC, it's going to turn out to be a joke this fall. And I don't want to be thinking this, but their track record is so bad that I am very, very worried. And I mean, this is sort of the meme of the week on uh, Apple blogs. It's like, oh no, Apple is doomed. They're going to be the next BlackBerry. I know Marco didn't say that. I, I'm just j- joking. But, <laughs> oh my goodness. You really, really wanted to plug all of the... Uh, like I haven't kind talked of, about dynamism in Swift yet. <laughs> I know, I know, but you're, I know you're close to plugging it. Okay, so the thing is, you know that the past like two or three episodes, I've been overwhelmingly positive. Um, no, no, and don't. now it's my time to be really grumpy and upset and everything. I'm oh. just, I just want my phone to work. I, I have never been as disappointed with a phone as the iPhone six because the hardware is worse than the five S was. The software has only gotten worse since I've gotten it, and it's really frustrating. It's the first time I've really disliked an iPhone because nothing has gotten better with this one. It's only gotten worse and i hope this isn't the trend you you know what can i tell you one of my wwdc wishes more intelligence no you should buy an android phone yannick buys an android phone that's one of my wishes i can't because the app sucks on sucks on androids and Uh, oh my god it makes me so mad there's no good operating system on mobile anymore it pisses me off Oh my. Okay, so you're you're de- I'm depressed about the state of mobile operating <laughs> systems and I was we'll probably discuss on the next episode. This is why I'm taking great relief in the wild west ecosystem of the world wide web oh and web development because oh my god, I don't have the energy to put up with this bullshit. Wow. Okay. I seriously don't know where I should go with this. So I need a therapist. That's where we need to go. <laughs> I think that's right. Okay. Maybe we should end it here before I start tearing my hair out. <laughs> yep. That, I, see, I'm out of words, to be honest. Uh, maybe, maybe I should be able to just give um, just a, a small uh, update on WW just before we close out. I, I think um, we've seen the kind of a trend with uh, all of those um, like assistant features like uh, the Amazon Echo, which has a big presence in the Mac community these days. Also, Google in Google I.O., they pushed uh, tons of new product and uh, hardware product and software products that has assistant feature. Um, there are new iMessage slash Facebook competitor, uh, FaceTime competitor as kind of a Google bot. There is also this google keyboard for ios which is kind of its own google bot in your keyboard all the time and i'm not sure where um apple is right now with that and it's strange to me like they were kind of the first to create this assistant with siri and it seems that they created like they bought the siri one they made some tweaks to it some might say that they were better some might say that they were worse those tweaks and then it kind of stopped there. It's stagnation. 
It's complete stagnation. Yeah, and it's sad because every time I hear somebody says, oh, it's better, I'm like, yeah, you should learn a new language and use it in another language other than English. Even if I know Siri might be one of the better ones to support way more languages than maybe what Amazon has to offer or Google has to offer. Or you should get an Apple Watch and try to use it there because it's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully... Uh, they'll find a way and I'm sure they have found a way to fix that problem or improve, have an improving solution. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I won't say that I'm worried right now, but I might be after dub dub. Clearly the thing that needs to happen at WWDC is Amazon needs to announce the Echo coming out in Canada. That would be the greatest WWDC announcement. But still, I don't want to use it in English to be honest. I know, I know, I know, but I don't want to. Like, Siri is in French on my phone, and I love to use it in French. Even if it if it doesn't know, or understand, like, 54. I had so much issues to set the fucking timer <laughs> at 54 minutes. And it was, like, I look at my screen, and it says 50 space 4. And it says, oh, I started the timer for 4 minutes. I'm like, come oh on. Oh, my God. Come on. See, this is why I'm upset. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Now I'm upset. And yeah. mission accomplished. Everybody's <sighs> upset. We can now end the episode. Oh my goodness! I'm sure you want. I'm sure what happened just now is you really, really wanted to talk about Dub Dub because you're pissed, and now <sighs> I'm pissed too. Yes. Okay. Let's wrap it up. All right. So you can find the show notes for this depressing episode of Limitless Possibility at limitlesspossibility.net/slash/forty-one, oh <laughs> or you can find all of our previous episodes, some of which were more positive than this one, <laughs> at limitlesspossibility.net. We are also on Twitter, where we make. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt the outro, but I'm surprised that you haven't said that you could find more depressing episode at limitlesspossibility. <laughs> Do we really have more depressing episodes? I don't really think so. Uh, I think this yeah. is the bottom of <laughs> of all of them. <laughs> okay, you can continue the outro. Anyway, uh, we tweet when we put up a new episode. You can go see those tweets at limipo underscore podcast on Twitter. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can see me being a very joyous human being at <laughs> Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A on Twitter. And Nukanush is equally joyous at... <laughs> at Lukanush, like you just said, but that's L U C C O N O C H E. And off, and you're right, I'm not pessimistic on my Twitter account. That's true, you almost never post. See, that's why I'm never pessimistic on my Twitter account. Awesome. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks we'll, where we'll discuss the bread from Subway and Dynamism <laughs> and Swift. See you in two weeks. <laughs> see you in two weeks. <laughs>